Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. If you're listening on a podcast, I'm standing straight up, just alert and attentive, and Emily is limping a little bit. So I just want to make sure you got the entire visual experience in case you're just listening and not watching. Which is a happier um, experience. No one at my age should be limping. This is true. You guys, her one leg's getting so strong, hopping around. Um, Emily broke her leg in Israel, in case you missed last week's episode, and um, I'm just making fun of her for it. <laughs> it is so true. All day long, every day, the bane of my life. Can I say that? The, pa- the bane? I am the bane? Um, this is our scripture study podcast. We follow along the Come Follow Me schedule in the scriptures. Um, we also have a couple other podcasts that we, um, if you're looking for other yeah, uplifting... If you're someone who loves an uplifting podcast... Uh, then we've got several you can choose from. Yeah, so um, a couple of it. This is our scripture one, and then we have a couple that are... um, General conference. Yeah, kind of general conference. Relevant faith. Yeah, kind of more, a little bit more topical. So Emily, you can talk about yours. Yeah, so mine, you'll be able to find it's under Inklings Institute. It's for anyone who loved Institute when you were in college or kind of wishes you could just find an Institute class somewhere, but you can't. Now there is one. It's a podcast. It's called Inklings Institute. You can watch it live on Thursday mornings at nine. We meet and people come from all over the world on to Instagram, which is super fun to see where everybody's from. Um, And we just do an hour Institute class on a conference talk every week that we all study together and talk about together. But then it's in podcast form. So you can listen to it whenever you want all during the week. And I just started a new podcast. It's called Revival because that word is so rad. Um, I was just thinking about the fact that like our faith tradition has a, a revival every six months. One that's just sort of like, oh, let's just be reminded about just the goodness of God and the, and the principles of faith. That living faith is not dumb, but it's like meaningful that you can live a life of faith as a, a student, as a mom, as a businessman, as a, as whatever you are. And so it, and that is, it can be relevant to your life yeah, too. Like it's, it's like in your day to day. Yeah. You know, so it's a reminder about kind of what happened at conference. We actually follow the same schedule as Inklings does in which talk that we're going to pick, but it's a 20 to 25 minute short kind of just like reminder of the punchy points of that conference talk. And in particular, what question did that conference talk answer that would be relevant to me and relevant to me living out that principle? Just one week at a time. Give me one to think about and live out. So just kind of like a a drive to work, a walk to school, uh, while you're vacuuming, whatever it is. That's called Revival. You can find that anywhere. And then our friends, um, Emily's daughter, Grace, and, and then our friends and Talon TJ. and TJ have one that's geared toward youth. And that's every Sunday night on Instagram. It's under the Instagram handle, This Is Kingdom. Which and we love their name so much. It's such a good name. Yeah. Y'all, just so you know, that phrase, kingdom, I'm trying to rebrand it for all of our people. <laughs> that it just, 
when we talk about building the kingdom, we are talking about building people. Like this is king, like it's us. Like this is kingdom, and this is what kingdom living looks like. So if your um, youth or young adults are looking for something uplifting every Sunday night, there is that. Yeah, and that one has a lot of energy. So be prepared because they <laughs> really they're three seminary teachers who are really used to teaching and interacting with the youth, with that younger generation, that rising generation. And you are going to feel a lot of enthusiasm and energy when you hop onto that. Theirs is like 15 to 20 minutes also. Yeah. So anyways, if you're just looking for other kind of uplifting, informative, like Maybe we can link to those podcast. in the newsletter. You'll yeah, have to you show should. me how. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to do it, but David will know. Yeah, let's do that for sure. Okay. So today we are on a million chapters, if you can see the screen. So true. Matthew 24, but also Joseph Smith, Matthew, and Matthew 25, and Mark 12 and 13, and Luke 21 are kind of copies of those, which is awesome. And we've called today's lesson, Come, Lord Jesus, Come, it is a phrase that John the Revelator uses in the book of Revelation when talking about just that excitement of Jesus coming again. The second coming is one of the things Emily and I love to debate about, study about, think about, talk about get excited about, all the things about. Um, so these are the chapters in the New Testament that kind of hit heavy on um, second coming. Yeah, and there's so many different ways you could go with this. Um, I think we taught last year really heavy into, or last time, Joseph Smith, Matthew. I'm trying to remember if we did or not, which we love talking about. And in the space of time we had, you either got to choose Joseph Smith, Matthew, or you got to choose Matthew 24 and the parables. We decided to lean into the parables this time because there's so many great lessons there. And if you're dying to know more about Matthew 25 and Joseph Smith, Matthew, and the signs of the you times. Mean 24. I mean Matthew 24. I just got both of those mixed up. Oh. We're teaching Matthew 25. If you're dying to know more about Matthew 24 and Joseph Smith, Matthew, we have a masterclass that we'll link to that will like deep dive into all of that if you're somebody who is loves to think about and talk about the signs of the times, which we do. It was yeah. a toss up which way we were going to go, but there's such a great lesson in the parables. We're going to be a Matthew 25 all day. So the very first section we're calling hope and advice, and this is the setting, Matthew 24. So Jesus um, has been in the temple. This is the last week of his life, and he's been, you know, teaching there. There was the cleansing of the temple last week, a lot of familiar things, uh, teachings that, that we know. And then it kind of starts to get toward the end. And it says that Jesus leaves from the temple and his disciples came to him. And this is verse one of Matthew 24 to show him for, to show him the buildings of the temple, which I think is so cute because remember these are country folk. And so seeing the magnificence of this temple would have been like, like it was considered one of the most beautiful things in the world by believers and atheists alike during ancient times. But for these country boys, man, like seeing something like this was just out of this world. And it kind of fascinated them. And, and there Jesus gives this prophecy and says, one, that temple is going to not stand anymore. Like none of those stones are going to be left. And it would have been like, what are you talking about? Especially because you don't realize until you get to Jerusalem. When we see that temple picture, it, it feels small. Knockable, downable. Yeah, it does. Knock D downable. Don't you think it does? Yeah, yeah. 
in the pictures until you're standing like at the Western Wall and you look at how big just the foundation of the temple was, which that's an interesting lesson in and of itself. The foundation was, is, it's still there. It's huge. And then for the temple to be on With top of that. some of the stones are like 50, what, how, how big were they? We I, went and yeah. learned. <laughs> like yeah. 50 tons a piece. Yes, and just th like, they're like huge. Like in your mind, you would be like, no one could knock that down. It, yeah. It it's just seems inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> that would get knocked down. Um, which is actually intriguing. And I was reading this about the, when you go there and you see the stones that have fallen and are knocked down, yes. that it's not there anymore. It kind of leaves you thinking like, whoa, it's just a sign that Jesus's impossible prophecies actually come to pass. Yeah. You know, it's just a reminder yeah. of, of something like that. But they come and in verse three, they sit on the Mount of Olives, which was a favorite place for them to go. And this is, if you're looking, you can look oh, this yeah. up if you're not seeing, this picture is taken, modern day picture from the Mount of Olives, like looking down and where the golden dome of the rock is, is where the ancient temple would have been. So they're just like up on the hillside, looking down into that valley and then to where the, the temple is. P.S., the Garden of Gethsemane is right here in the same spot on, on the mountain also. So we'll get into some of the events that happened there. But they're just looking at this temple complex across the hill. And the disciples ask in three, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Like we want to know that. And Matthew 24 is an answer to both those questions. One, what can we expect in our lifetime, the disciples are asking, and then it parallels so well to this is what also future disciples can expect um, in their lifetime before, you know, before I come again. Yeah. Um, this is a list, by the way, from Harold B. Lee over on the left-hand side of spots in scripture that he said would be great if you were interested in studying, you know, about the second coming. But one of the things that is so, um, when you sit, you, you, you think about being these disciples and they hear a really troubling prophecy and then they hear a lot more troubling prophecies from him, um, which I think is important to say that they're not prescriptions, but prophecies. Like he's, he's saying, this doesn't have to happen. This just will happen, yeah. you know? And so this is going to be what your life is going to look like. But he gives, there's so much hope. In that, and one of the things in our masterclass on the Book of Revelation is like you see that book is structured with yeah, it it tells you the calamities and the and the terrible things that are coming, but there are interludes of hope that are just every few chapters there is this interlude of hope that he's like remember what is going to happen at the end of this like I'm coming back and there will be peace and like there is something to look forward to even though it's going to be painful for a minute, which is why he talks about labor and birthing a child, because right. there is something wonderful that's coming at the end. But there's also going to be that labor to make that wonderful thing a reality. And, yeah. and that's what he talks about. But these interludes of hope that you see in the book of Revelation, you also find here in Matthew 24. Yeah. One of them I love... So much as he just starts giving this list of wars and rumors of wars and national rise against nation and famines and earthquakes. And these are just the beginning of sorrows, he says in verse 8. And you'll, there will be hatred and there will be offense in verse 10. There will be a betrayal. There will be false prophets and iniquity. And then in verse 12, such a, such a like a shivering line where he says, The love of many shall wax cold. 
like we'll lose love between people um, on the earth. And then, but then he gives this bit of advice to disciples. He's just like, who are certainly wondering, well, how do I live in a world like that while I'm waiting? Yeah. Like what's, like if I'm, I, I can't ignore it. Like that doesn't seem like the disciple thing to do to just say like, well, I don't want to read about it. I don't want to know about it. I yeah. just want to turn off everything. I don't want to know it. But then also it doesn't seem like the disciples thing to do to get so, you know, fred up about it and just like obsessed, you know, and, you know, discouraged. Mm-hmm. And he gives two pieces of advice. 13, he says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Or in other words, I just have written in my margins, don't give up. Well, and I love to, remember how when we studied endure to the end means remain firm within. Yeah. And I just love that thought of like, he who just remains firm within and just, yeah, you know, hold on. I'm coming. I'm coming back. So just. Don't give up. Yeah. Firm hold on. Yeah. And then 14, he says, and this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And. Remember, that definition of gospel means good news. So he just says, in the meantime, spread some good news to people. Do as much good as you can and spill and pour into this world as much of that good news as possible. This world could certainly use a lot more good news every hour, every day, every month, every year. And so he says to his disciples, you want to know how to live as a disciple in the waiting? He says, stand firm, don't give up, and spread good news. That's what you should do in the times while you wait. yeah, And that's what Matthew 25 is actually about. There are three parables that are sort of um, what some people call parables of preparation. Um, And the first one in Matthew 25 is about these 10 girls, uh, the 10 (laughs) ladies. (laughs) No one's ever called it that before in the history of their life. Um, And you may know about them. They are waiting for a bridegroom. They're waiting for a wedding. And can we just pause and say for one second here that the analogy that he wants to give for his coming is a wedding. You know, it's just like, it's not Godzilla who's coming, you know, but it's a wedding. He's just like, this is actually something that you should be excited about, that you should be looking forward to, that it's like you would want to get ready for it. This is about preparation for the wedding. And it's like, listen, the point is, the more ready you are, the funner that wedding's going to be. It's not like a or else sort of parable. It's like a, hey. Yeah, this is going to be so fun. Yeah, this is going to be so great. everybody's coming. Yeah, so it's sort of like in that it's rooted in like the weddings of their time where people would have the lamps get ready for a procession to go into the wedding. And you may know that there is a split and that's what happens in all three of these parables. So this is the worksheet for the week in in your journal, or you can download it in the newsletter where there are these three different parables and then a column for you at the end to think about it. And sort of like some of the similarities that you find inside the three parables. So this first parable, the parable of the 10 virgins, the first question is, what does that waiting time look like? They're waiting for the bridegroom, it says. And it says that it is in the nighttime. He seems to be a little bit late. I think everybody listening can relate to that. I think it's the first thing I will say to Jesus when he comes again. I was like, you are late, sir. Um, I'm happy you're here, but you're late, right? And it's interesting because in that waiting, it says that all of them fell asleep, you know? And I think that is just, it's, I like that all 10 of them have that in common with yeah, each I other. Yeah, I do too. You know? Yeah, but you're not like, well, and then the people who stayed up too late last night 
or whatever, you know, you, you want to point your finger at, well, if anyone who falls asleep in seminary, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it just is this idea of like, oh, everybody's going to feel like they're waiting for a long, a long time, time with this. And then all of a sudden there's this moment of decision. And what we mean on the worksheet by the moment of decision is when there is a separation with people. And that happens when the call, the bridegroom cometh, they call it out that it's there. And five of them had uh, oil in their lamps and were ready for the procession. And five of them did not have oil in their lamps. And that's what they were entrusted with as the, as the parade, you know? I mean, these are the people who are just like, and, and it's interesting that, and maybe I've put this together before, but that Jesus says, you know, to us, like, I want you to prepare the world for the second coming. I want you to get everyone excited for me, which would have been what the yeah. pers- the parade, it was, what, what's the yeah, real word? It's not a parade, procession. procession. <laughs> and, and it is true because they would have yelled that call down in yeah. those Eastern weddings. Um, people would be waiting on their housetops and waiting down the streets and he's coming, he's coming, you would know. But uh, the job was reserved for 10 of the bride and groom's closest friends yeah. to stand at the doorway because it's dark by now and light the entrance as they as he comes in through that door it's it's this ceremonial and just this beautiful like it's like the sparklers welcome. it's like the sparklers yeah that's exactly what it's when like people are, love that part yeah and and five of them don't have it and it's sort of like a won't won't you know yeah. when they're not there for it and they and they aren't ready for that experience and you know the, there's a lot of talk and i'm sure your classes will talk a lot about like what that what that oil, oil represents yeah. or means. But I think in its most base, if you kind of just like stayed super basic with it, you would learn one thing and then you'll learn one thing at the end. And the one thing you learn is just like, it's just a parable of preparation. It just says like, listen, don't, there's something to be done, right? Like that seems to be the point of it. There's something to be done to excite the world and ready the world and yourself for his coming. Like just, don't be negligent yeah. with that call and that responsibility and that exciting, I want yes. to say opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, don't, it's almost like this. Don't miss out. Yes. Don't miss out on what is coming. And then something interesting happens and then you'll see it progress as, as we go through here. Um, in the very end, and this might be what's important about the oil, what is connected to it. When the five of them finally learn, go and they get the oil and they come to the wedding in verse 10 and the door shut. And they said, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And in verse 12, it says, verily I say unto you, I know you not. Which you're kind of like, what? This doesn't make any sense. But if you click the no, you get the, I mean, the verily, you get the JST change to it, which is verily I say unto you, you know me not. And that seems to maybe be the point, especially when you're going to lay all of these against each other. So take note of that, that it's just like what they know about the Lord. And, and the problem is the five wise ones, we're like, what was different, but different between the two of them? In the end, it's the five knew him and the five foolish girls did not know Which him. Which is so interesting because most people are going to want to say this when you ask that question. What was the difference between the five? The five had oil, the other five didn't have oil. And if that's your answer, I feel like you're missing a really important concept. And you could easily fall into like a checklist discussion with this parable. And it's like, but wait, what if the point is? Who knew him? Who knew him? Because who was giving the oil? Yes. 
Exactly. That's that I think is is key to it. Yeah, go to the source. Right. And it's interesting that you you read this and there's five people that didn't have oil and they run to the stores and stuff like that and you're like, "Wait, I don't think you knew him because if if you did, you would have known, "Oh, when I'm empty. at lack and I'm empty, I know who to go to." But anyways, in the end, that's kind of the Yeah. So good. So and this is a um this is going to be a chapter that has three different parables, but they're all trying to teach you the same thing. He's like, in case this if this doesn't make sense to you, let me try it a different way. Now, I'm going to try and, and help you understand it a different way. And we're going to go uh, into what most people call the parable of the talents, um, which we are all very familiar with, but it's a little hard to understand. In our family, we call it the parable of the chickens instead because... It makes a whole lot more sense if we're talking about chickens than if we're talking about talents. Um, the reason why this happened is because Greg came home one day. He was the elder scorn president and he was like, I'm doing a whole lesson on ministering and I want to use the parable of the talents to teach it. And I was like, I don't think that parable is about ministering. And so I think you're confused. Pray again, see if something else comes. <laughs> and then he came back and he's like, no, I really feel like I'm supposed to teach about the parable of the talents to teach ministering. And again, I was like, I've read that parable a thousand times. It's for sure not about ministering. But finally, the third time when he came and asked, we sat down at the kitchen table. He was on one side, I was on the other. And I was like, okay, let's just read the whole thing and see if anything comes to mind that this would be about ministering. And so we started and he talked about this man. And um, he called his servants and he delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his ability. And what are even the talents? Is it like someone was great at tap dancing? Was it money because talents was a form of money in the, those days? Every time I hear this taught, it's a different thing. But I was like, okay, Greg, let's pretend like you're the man. And you call in all of our kids and you're going to give them your goods. And what would your goods be? And immediately we both thought about chickens because <laughs> Greg raises chickens and he loves them and he knows everything about them. And he's generally, if we can't find Greg in the house, we just go out in the backyard and he's talking to the chickens. Once he read an entire sacrament meeting talk to the chickens, <laughs> that is so true. And... He just loves his chickens. So I said, let's pretend like that's what's happening. Which when you make this parable about chickens, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, this makes a lot more sense because he gave five of his chickens to Caleb and he gave um, two to, let's say, Megan. And to Grace, he gave one according to their several ability for managing chickens. And so Caleb takes his um, that he got, which was five, and um, he made not five more chickens, everyone. That would be so confusing and take a long time, but let's just pretend that chicken had five eggs. So that was its increase. And to Megan, he gave two chickens, and those two chickens had two eggs. By the time Greg got home, they had done that. And Grace takes her chicken and buries it in the ground. <laughs> And when I said that, you should have seen Greg's face right in that moment. Like, Grace has never been asked to take care of the chickens again. And this isn't even a true story. 
<laughs> so, you know, when he came home and asked about that chicken, she went and dug it up. And you know what's going to happen if you buried a chicken for that many days. So it didn't work out well. And then um, he says it would have been better if you had taken your chicken and actually given it to David. Yeah. That would have been actually a better choice than burying it in the ground. <coughs> and as we started talking about that, we started realizing two things about this parable. First of all, it's not about talents or about chickens. It's about people and taking care of people. And, and, and the Lord's goods are going to be people. And so when he gives them to you, he, maybe he's going to give you five to watch over because you have the ability to do that right now. And maybe he's going to give you two. And maybe he's going to give you one. Because that's what your ability is for watching over people. And what's your job while you're watching over them? Just to make sure they increase under your care. That is your job. So when he comes back to the one person, he's like, why? Why did you do this? I'm so confused why you would have done this. And so let's just think about this parable as we go through. What did the waiting look like? Well, he goes away for a long time. That's what happens. And the moment of decision... Which makes me think about that sticky note that we've shown on your fridge before. Yes. Right? Where he just essentially says, the kingdom while is I'm gone, the kingdom is yours. yours. Which is what we... Like at the beginning, right? The kingdom is people. It's us. Yes. And he's like, actually, the organization is kind of yours, whatever. But yeah. like, the it's the people, people are yours. Until I come. They're my most prized possession. Yes. Right? Yes. And so when he comes back, he's the first question he's going to ask is, what did you do with my people? Right? That's what's going to happen. And then um, what are they entrusted with? Talents is what the parable wants to tell us. Or chickens, if you're Greg. It's his business. Um, yeah. His business. But, but it's people yeah. is what you're entrusted with. And the last person says this. When he says, why, why would you have done that? Why, why would you have responded in this way. And the man says to him, the one who had received the one talent, Lord, I knew you. Okay. Now remember this. What did they know? He tells them, you knew me not. And this man says, I know you. You are a hard man. And um, I was afraid. And so instead of accepting the opportunity, I hid it. I walked, I didn't want that responsibility. And when you read it, you have to ask yourself this question. Is that true about the Lord? Of what we know about the Lord, that he is a hard man and someone to fear? And so the answer to this parable, when it comes down to that one servant, is super similar to this one. You knew me not. That's what he says at the end. You knew me not. Um, because if you had known me, you would have just taking care of the one person. Yeah, it's interesting if you were to ask the first servant and the second servant, like, what do you know about the Lord? And you're like, what are you kidding? I like, I doubled it and then he gave me everything. Yes. Like what boss has ever done that in the history of their life, right? Yeah. At the end of your shift, he's like, do you know what? I'm actually going to sign the will of my whole estate over to you. Thanks for taking care of... One, the, five chickens. Yeah, five, you know what I mean? And they'd yeah. be like, you're wildly generous is what the other two would have said. So there's, it's just something that's interesting here about this third yeah. person. This third parable um, is, is interesting because it doesn't spend much time in parable land. 
It kind of just gives a, paints a picture of a hypothetical future moment, but it's not hypothetical at all. It's actually going to happen, right? But he just says, when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he'll sit on his throne and before him shall be gathered all the nations. So we're kind of talking about judgment day here. Do you want me to go to the worksheet right now? Um, uh, yeah, we can. And then go um, back to this. Then we'll go back to this pick in just a second. Um, and he's going to separate everybody just like a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. So that's kind of as long as it spends in the parable, where it's just like, just like a shepherd separates his sheep and his goats, or in other words, people who are shepherds back then would have known like, oh, the ones that listen and the ones that don't, right? Um, that's what the end is going to be like. And he's going to put the sheep on his right hand and he's going to put the goats on his left. And he's going to actually say to the sheep, um, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Right, and he's going to say the opposite to to the goat. So you start looking at this as like, what did the waiting look like? It's just well, like, and it's so interesting because I think the question people probably are asking are, wait, 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 what separates the sheep from the goats? Right, which what, is yeah, what is it going to be? And that's then what follows is him saying, okay, let me show you what would separate the two. And this is actually, I just thought of this for the first time because he says, like, just count the verses right? Where it just says to the sheep, I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Like there, it's not a quick, you were, you were good. Yeah. Like it's spelled out. And then they're going to say, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? Yeah, so they weren't doing it to earn points is what you realize because, or for scorekeeping. Well, maybe not. They didn't even know who they were helping. Yeah, or they're just like, wait, when? But it's what I'm saying is like, it's just like, wait, like this section of scripture is really, really exaggerated. It's like. It's almost like you know, in the temple when they keep repeating the phrases and stuff. And you're like, I get it. Okay, return report. I get it. Like, why do you keep saying the same thing mm-hmm. over and over again? And, but he's just like, when saw we thee all these things? And then the key verse is 40, where the king shall answer and say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then to the goats, he's actually going to repeat that whole same thing. I was hungry and you and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was, and they're like, and when did we see? You know, yeah, because like, they're the same way. They're like, wait a minute, when did we? Yeah, see? it goes to that whole thing. But the key verse is that forty that says, essentially, I take it personally the way you treated other people, um, and and the end of that you saw in that um, thing. What do they know? Well, let me just tell you about this statue. So. When you go into Capernaum, which is the city where Jesus did most of his miracles, a lot of the ones that we know, at least in Israel, as you walk in, there's this statue just to the left before you go into the gates. And it's of a homeless man. It's a bronze statue of a homeless man. He's wrapped up in this blanket and he's on a bench. And you would think he was any other homeless person in the world, except if you look closely, you would notice that there are nail marks in his uh, feet. They were actually selling this statue at the wood shop, the olive wood shop. Oh, really? Yeah. But it had no marks in the feet. And so I actually took it to the owner of the wood shop. And I was like, sir, 
you'll actually never sell this <laughs> unless you put the most important part of this. Yes. So take this down to your shop and like you Have need to etch this, this because yeah. it's like, it doesn't work. So obviously when you see that, you realize, um, oh, that is, that's not just any homeless man. That's actually Jesus. And it's representing Matthew 25. That's what the artist had in mind when he sculpted this is to say like, you might pass this by this person and say like, oh, that's just a homeless person. You might come up with all the reasons that they probably are homeless. You might come up with all the excuses or, or whatever. But what Jesus was teaching, this is the only spot that I know of in scripture where he is specific about judgment day mm. and where he's specific about what he cares about most and he doesn't gloss over it. Yeah, He spends time with it and says essentially, look, this is actually what I care most about. When I come again, the thing I care most about is, did you love people well? I take that personally. And it's interesting because in the end, when they're just like, wait, we, we did, you know, when did we see you? When did we not see you? And, and you look on this thing, what did they know about the Lord? Is some, in the end, some people knew him and some people didn't know him and the way to come to know him was the way they treated other people like that yeah. is that like there's something so simple and so profound and, about that and how they treated other people everywhere right because i posted that picture on my instagram several weeks ago and one thing that was really common common in the comments was people saying oh i've seen this in chicago i've seen the same statue mm. in wherever in all of these places and I thought to myself, and if you search homeless Jesus, it will come up in so many different places. And I just love that reminder of like, if you're looking for me in your church building, you might be looking in the wrong place. You'll find me there for sure. But are you also remembering to look for me here? And do you know me here? Do you know me in the dump in Tijuana? Do you know me in, you know, the street where all the homeless shelters are. Do you know me in all of these places? It's just such a good call to be like, open your eyes, live eyes wide open. And that's how we should be living. And it's so interesting to me that these are so different. One's about oil, one's about talents, one's about sheep and goats. And and they're all telling these different circumstances and different lengths of time and, and, you know, different everything. But the thing that is common about the three becomes so crucial to understanding chapter 24. And that's the bottom thing, that they knew him not and that he knew him not and that they knew him not. I think it's so interesting that he's like, if you want to make it through, then Hold firm within to knowing me. That's mm. what you have to do. Because if you can just remain firm within, if you can just endure, no matter the weight, no matter what you are entrusted with, if you can just endure, that's when the promise will come. And I love that the gift isn't something you receive at the end. The gift you receive all along the way. It's knowing him. Mm. That is mm. life eternal. Yep. To know him. And that last parable is just like, and and do you want celebration? Do you want the increase? Then focus on people. Yeah. That is the 
prescribed way, that's Jesus' prescribed way of coming to know him is the way we treat other people. It's his prescribed way of like, I would even tie it back. He was just like, remember my greatest possession is is yeah, people. people. And then it makes me want to say like, do you want to define what oil in the lamp is? It's the way you treated people, right? Yeah. Is what I would even go yeah. so far as to say. Well, and it makes if you, you line it up with that. Love God and love people is written all over these right. parables. They say, what should we do in the waiting time, Lord? Yeah. He was just like, oh, know I actually me. already answered and that. And know my people. Right. It's really simple. Yeah. Right. And and it, it'll be different. I like that they're all different because yeah. the way that you like will love people yeah. will look different in different circumstances. But just like, well, and what is... don't you love that sometimes you will be assigned? Yeah. And sometimes you, it will just be on you to notice where you need to minister and and help and love. And in the end, because you know him, you stand in as witness for him, mm. which I love that because you know what he would do. And so. You do it. Um, we're going to end with one of our very favorite stories that's in Mark, the book of Mark, um, chapter 12. And I'm going to start in verse 41. It says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And I just want to think about this. Don't you love when it's like Jesus stood over um, in the treasury, against the treasury? I just see him leaning against a wall. They're just having like a little break in their day. Maybe they're eating their sack lunches. We don't know, but they're just over there kind of resting. No one's really paying attention to anything. He's just over against this wall and there's all these people coming through that had a lot of money and they just cast in. And I can just imagine what that scene looks like, that they're talking to each other, that mm. they're like, this, I, I got to stop by the treasury on our way to wherever we're going next. And on their way through, they continue their conversation, but they just drop that in and they walk past and it's just this ongoing, you know, group of people, this line of people walking through and that sound of the money dropping in, dropping in, dropping in. It's just part of the background noise. And then it says in verse 42, and there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites, which makes a farthing. And I love thinking about that widow because I think that first group in that first verse, they come walking through that place. And this is just something on their list of things to do that day. I got to stop by the treasury on our way to lunch, right? And they go through and they reach in their pocket and they drop in their money and they go on. And I've been the widow before. I've counted out the exact amount that needs to go to the treasury. I've looked at it and thought to myself, if I really give this, I'm going to have to change what our food menu looks like this month and we're gonna have to give up date night for the whole month and it like is this really is the right thing to do is put this in and I love that it's two mites because I just I imagine that lady walking up there and um, getting close up to that vessel that is collecting everything and, and I wonder if her steps slowed down a little bit as she approached it and if, if she hesitated. And I can just imagine her, we have a dear friend who bought two mites for us while we were in um, Jerusalem. And I've looked at them every day since I got home and they're just, they are so tiny and so thin. I mean, they're just barely anything. And I imagine her clutching those. And I will tell you right now that if you drop those in, they wouldn't make 
a sound at all. Mm. And I think to myself, truly, what were those among so many? Like, did they even make a dent in that when people were counting the money that night, did it even help? Like, was it even significant right. that those slowed steps and that clutched hand and those two little mites falling in among all that silver and, and gold? And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. And I'll tell you right now that math doesn't add up. Like that's not actually a true statement, which makes you want to understand what's he talking about? Because is he talking about mites or is there a deeper lesson there? And then he says this, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want... And I love looking at that footnote for want, or if you look up the Greek translation for that word want, it means falling short. She of her falling short. Um, and I just think about that because sometimes this story makes me think of my financial reckoning with the Lord, but sometimes it also makes me think of just my life. Mm. And how many times have I stood in the treasury and looked at my falling short in that moment? And we know what that feels like. And because of it, she cast in all she had. It tells us even all her living. That was everything she had that she dropped into there and then walked past. And I love two lessons from this. The first is this, that in those two might moments, in those moments where we recognize so clearly are falling short, that he is standing in the treasury and he knows, he knows what that feels like and that he notices. Yeah. Don't you love that he notices? Well, and I, and I, it's interesting that his disciples don't notice yeah. that he actually has to call them over. And that actually might be the case with what we're giving quietly and sacrificially. That like, actually a lot of it, like even his disciples, like his, the leaders, other people Didn't here know. to your left and right, they actually won't know that it's even happening and you won't be recognized for your great offering, but he will, he yeah. will notice. Yeah. It. And I love that thought of being known, known and noticed yeah. in that moment. Like I know how hard it was for you to give that up. And I want you to know I noticed that you actually did that. And it's sweeter to me because um, we've all stood in the treasury before, but I think sometimes we forget that so has he. And maybe that treasury moment is more meaningful or noticeable to him because he's been in that place before. And I love to paint the treasury like this. Um, one of my favorite paintings where I think that he of his want, um, which in his case was not his falling short, but ours. Mm. Um, he of his want did cast in all he had, even all his living for us, for our falling short. And, and when you think about that treasury and, and the cost, I just can't help but think of his yeah. when I read this story. And, um, and to know that we are known and noticed because he has been in the treasury before. And, and just what a, a sweet 
element that adds to this story that's so familiar to us. Yeah, and, and it just makes me think about some of those other stories that, that we've seen, that like the, you know, when Jesus, kind of, like the door shuts on the widows, I mean, on the virgins, and, you know, there's a harsh conversation, and, and some of those that would be important to read all of those stories, like knowing that's not the only, you can't read into his full character in just that single moment yeah. and and someone could accuse him too of saying that i can't believe that you made that widow give up mm-hmm. you know all that she had and i would say like wait actually i don't want the accuser to have the microphone give it to her yes give it to that widow and and you ask her like why why, why she gave it and and i think her answer would be because i know him i know what he's like yeah i know he knows me and notices me i know he gave everything for me first. It's my way of thanking him, my way of loving him. It's my way of coming to know him Mm. for myself. Yeah, that's so so good. All right. We will see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.